Welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have on Rockney Cole, and Rockney is a 47-year-old lawyer out of Iowa, and he discovered intermittent fasting in May 2020 after a doctor appointment in which he found out that he had prediabetes and high blood pressure, and he knew that he needed to do something about his health. He started out around 300 pounds and has lost over 65 pounds to date. And he's done it through intermittent fasting and making some moderate changes to his diet. And he's got a very easy to understand, straightforward approach. He also has a podcast called The Rockney Cast in which he speaks a lot about intermittent fasting. So I recommend that you take a listen to that and I'll link it up in the show notes. This is a really fun episode and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Rockney. Thank you so much for joining today. Before we dig in, do you want to just give me 30 seconds, a minute about who you are? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm a lawyer. Um, We practice primarily in Iowa City, Iowa, although I've recently moved to Northeast Iowa. And I've been intermittent fasting basically since about May of 2020. I have my own podcast now. A lot of people have started a new project. It seems like everyone has a podcast now. I'm joining the the millions of people uh, that have done uh, podcasts. And I have a podcast called The Rockney Cast. And I'm calling it kind of the, the Seinfeld of podcasts and that I really don't have a theme. I'm breaking all the rules uh, because I didn't really want to narrow my, my focus so I would sort of limit what I wanted to do. But a couple of themes have emerged. One of them is intermittent fasting. And I believe that that is how you came across my particular interest in uh, intermittent fasting. But that's sort of me in a 30 second nutshell. Yeah, I actually really like your podcast. And I think it really speaks well to the new faster. You have a couple episodes about the issues that brought you to where you were before you started, what got you on intermittent fasting, the steps that you took to get into your protocol, and you just laid out very simply and cleanly along the way. So if anybody that's listening is a new faster, uh, I would definitely direct you to Rockney's podcast, and I will link to it in the show notes as well so that people can find you. But Let's jump right in. Maybe you can give me, you know, some background about what happened in 2020. That's when you received some not so great health news. Is that right? Sure, I'd be happy to. I have a big brain. I was an offensive lineman my freshman year in college. And as a result of that and just sort of being a big guy, I'm 6'5", I have broad shoulders. I was able to carry a lot of weight without looking super fat. I never thought of myself as obese, in part because I never had a huge belly, but I was carrying extra weight. And really, the only way I'd really notice it is, is you look at yourself in pictures and you'd sort of see, ah, do I really look that fat? And the answer was, and you'd sort of like say, ah, no, I really don't. But I I was. And I went on this sort of gradual ascent up to 300 pounds. When I was in law school, I graduated in 2000. I weighed 240 pounds. And by the time I had arrived, May of 2020, I was at 300 pounds. I did not feel uh, like I was overweight, but I was. And I was starting to suffer all the clinical indicators that you would see with someone who had a body mass index of 36, which is where I was. For those of our listeners who don't know, it's a body mass index of over 30 that places you in obesity. So not only was I obese, I was only four points away from morbid obesity. That's how big I was. And I was starting to suffer the clinical indications of someone with obesity, which is type 2 diabetes. My doctor had screened me for essentially the fasting glucose test, essentially where you go in and they do essentially a 15-minute differential in terms of taking your fasting with a certain liquid. And then 15 minutes later, they see how much of a spike you get in terms of your blood sugars. And I'd had some problematic readings in terms of just my ordinary 12-hour lab fast that the the doctor had been pretty concerned about. 
And then she had basically said that I was at the type two um, diabetes level. And this was also at the beginning of the pandemic. So I basically had high blood pressure, type two diabetes, at least, and I've not been formally diagnosed, but my doctor was pretty much like, you're there. And I was like, what am I going to do? So that's sort of where I was in May of 2020. Do you remember what those fasting blood glucose numbers were? I do. And in preparing for this podcast, I looked at them. My A1C in uh, May 6 of 2020 was six. My blood glucose uh, level was at 135. And that's where the doctor was like, you are clearly up in, a, in, a, in essentially a type two diabetes range. On this sort of long ascent of weight gain, I had basically been at the pre-diabetic level where I regularly showing between 100 and 120. And so she was always concerned about it, but that was really the red flag where she said, hey, timeout, you actually are now in a type two diabetes range. We need to schedule you in uh, for July, essentially a month or two later to get this checked out because we, she was really concerned about that. Did he suggest any medications for you at the time or she just said, let's follow up in a couple months and then we'll figure it out? So what she did was is she wanted to recommend, at that point, at least in, in, in the medical records, she talked about putting me on statins. And at, the, at that particular time, I was also on two blood pressure medications, hydrochlorothorazide and losartan. I had started on hydrochlorothorazide and that did not work. And so then she upped me to losartan. And then I understand the next step would have been there's a pill where you can combine the hydrochlorothorazide and losartan and you combine it. I don't know if it's like a horse pill or whatever, but that's what she was about ready to put me on. And she had not put me on any high diabetes medications, but I was, I was just about there. You know, I was going to have this test. She said, it's not a super emergency, but you definitely need to get checked out for type two diabetes. So at that least time she was talking about essentially the statins. Yeah. So you really had a wake up call at that doctor appointment. That's correct. I really did. And I don't know if you wanted to get into sort of what her recommendation is and how I came across intermittent fasting. Yeah, let's do that. Sure. Well, it was pretty random. Just sort of taking a step back, I had sort of occasionally come across the concept of fasting, you know, and just in terms of reading about it. And my response was just like everyone else. Fasting equals starvation, equals pain, equals hunger, equals misery. I'm a 300 pound guy. No way am I going to be able to do fasting. It's, it's, it's ridiculously unrealistic. I mean, how the heck did I get up to 300 pounds in the first place? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, I love to eat. I don't like to starve myself. Two, there's this sort of terrible connection of red wine and Netflix, which I'd gotten into a very bad habit of. And so this led to this weight gain. And I, there's no way I'm going to do it. Until literally, and I am not a paid spokesperson for Fastic, the Fastic app. I swear, I haven't received anything from Fastic. But I was literally scrolling through Facebook, and there was a fa Facebook ad for the Fastic app. By the way, if there's any Fastic abs, you know, execs listening to this, you can totally sponsor my podcast, and I'll, I'll, I'll totally accept your funds. But as of right now, I've received nothing. I came across this app. And what it said was, is that if I would learn how to intermittent fast, I would lose weight, I would put on muscle, I would get off my high blood pressure medications, and if I were type 2 diabetic, I would be able to get off my medications. And I was like, whatever. This is just sort of another Facebook ad. But at that point, I was like, well, what the hell do I have to lose? You know, it's 15 or 20 bucks. I'm going to download it on my phone and get started. And I did get started, and it's just stunningly easy for any of these people that are thinking about getting on intermittent fasting or anything like that, but just let me give our listeners a punchline. Within two to two and a half months, people were like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And within five months, I don't know if you want to get, you know, we, we could do it like house hunters and wait until the end for the big reveal, but I can also just share my numbers. Yeah, share them. Share yeah, away. So, so in terms of blood sugar levels, I went and I had an insurance physical in October of 2020. So I started in May of 2020. My insurance physical was in October of 2020. So about five months, my A1C, which is what many of our listeners probably know is sort of the 90 day average of your blood glucose levels went to 5.6. 
and and my fasting glucose um, for the 12 hour, you know, where you have to not eat for 12 hours, went to 84. And in my in my screen that uh, I still I think was at a pre-diabetic level. That was actually in July of 2020, but it was favorable enough at that time that my doctor did not say, "Hey, we need to like put you on meds." So it was even a little higher, but within literally two months or so, it had uh, changed it. And, and to make a long story short, I was at 300 pounds when I did my blood, my insurance physical, I was at 270 pounds. Now I'm at 235 pounds and, you know, I'm going to keep the weight off. You know, once you learn how to do intermittent fasting, and at least in my opinion, I, I'm not credentialed in any way, shape, or form. I'm a lawyer. That's my day job. What I like to think of myself as sort of an air traffic controller. Go to these credentialed people that I believe know what the hell they're talking about, and you're going to see amazing results. I'm not worried at all about putting weight back on because once you learn how to intermittent fast, it is easy. You know, I and so I, I hope our listeners can can at least try it. It's not too good to be true. It is true, at least as to me. And of one, it has worked just as some of the credentialed people that I consult and read, like Dr. Jason Fung, have said that it would happen. So for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And actually, one of the reasons I really like your story is that you're a daily eater, I believe, right? You, you yep. fast for a certain number of hours and you eat at least once a day. And you still have had these incredible results and you've been able to maintain them because you started in May of 2020. And you're almost two years in and you're still maintaining very well. So maybe you can take us back to when you started and how, if at all, your protocol has changed. Sure. It, it, it is really so easy. You know, what I think when people, when I, it, it tends to be, you know, it's sort of interesting when I've dived into the, the intermittent fasting space, that was sort of my entry point. But from there, I went into, there's a lot of overlapping tribes most people that do uh, ketogenic diets tend to be intermittent fasting. And so they, they do really complement each other quite nicely because you're also avoiding those sort of quick carbs like sugar, highly refined processed breads, those sorts of things. And so I think for people to start, it is so easy. And I did one on, you know, even your, your uncle Earl and your aunt Edna, I don't know if you what aunt I use, even they can do it. All you have to do is this, and this is basically how I started with it. Eat a nice big meal for dinner, you know, at 6, 6.30. So, and, and I tend to like the more fat forward foods, you know, like avocados, like a steak, just eat a nice meal. And then don't eat the rest of the evening. And assuming you have a relatively regular, you're getting your eight to nine hours. And if you're not, by the way, that's a key thing. Get your sleep, right? And when you wake up, and let's say you go to bed at nine o'clock or let's say 10 o'clock, you've watched your Netflix. Now don't, don't, don't break your fast. That's the key. You, you, you're not going to want to eat any food. You can have certain liquids. So if you want to have like a little bit of a bubbly or something like that, and during the day, you can drink teas and coffee. That generally does not break the fast. And then when you wake up the next morning, guess what? You've already completed your first 12-hour fast. Congratulations. You did it. It's not that hard. And to get to that next level of a 16-hour fast where you get a lot of that benefits between hour 12 and hour 16, you're just four hours away. And so if you can just have a couple cups of coffee, get some work done, boom, you're at your 16-hour fast. So that's basically how I started. It just really comes down to skipping breakfast. And for a lot of people, they think this is just, oh, I, how can I possibly do this? Or they'll be like, I'm scared. I can't possibly. It's too hard. I'm panicking. And my thing is, is like, obviously there are some issues with it. I'm not saying it's super easy, but in, in talking to people that have fasted, it's really only the first couple days that it's actually kind of hard and your body adapts very quickly. In diving deeper into this space, one of the key theories of fasting is, is that, you know, human beings evolved for 3.5 million years in food scarcity. We couldn't just go get a burrito or have a candy bar whenever we wanted to. We're designed for it. Our body likes it. Our body thrives on it. And once you get off this sort of carb, you know, hamster wheel, 
where you're constantly having to feed your body full of like these sugars where you're craving hunger and your body gets naturally hungry, which you're not having a craving, but your body actually wants to be fed. It, it really isn't that hard. And when people think about hunger, the thing they need to think about, this is things that like Dr. Fung gets into, what causes your hunger in the first place? It's not only absence of food, it's a chemical signal that you get when you eat, right? So if you eat potato chips, you get more hungry. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, your body is responding to the food. Your body is, is rhythmic. It sends these hunger hormones through one of the, Dr. Funk calls it, I think it's ghrelin or something like that, that signals the desire to eat. Well, once your body gets used to this fasting in terms of when you eat, like you eat at noon and you eat maybe at six, you get naturally adapted to that. And so I haven't had breakfast in a very long time. Occasionally I will if I'm with family members that, that are eating breakfast, like we're getting together for a reunion, we eat breakfast. But it's really not that hard. So I guess that's a long, uh, long-winded way of saying, basically I did a 16-8, which means I don't eat for 16 hours a day. And then I eat during an eight-hour window. But I, I, I mix it up all the time. Uh, right now I'm doing a 24-hour fast, not hungry at all. I'll eat here in four or five hours, have an ordinary meal. And, and adapt to that. And I've done, I've done one meal a day from time to time. But the key to the key thing with fasting is, is that it, you know, you're not studying, you know, some religious text here, just to be very pragmatic and listen to your body in terms of what you're looking at. But once you get started, it's really not very hard at all. And the results that you can get are really incredible. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, it is kind of funny, because I think in the beginning, it, it is, maybe it is a little bit more challenging just because you're so your brain is so programmed to eat these meals all the time and you're not listening to your body's own hunger. You're just listening to what's pre-programmed in your head. But as time goes on, you sort of, you know, you let go of that programming. And I stop eating around 12, 31 o'clock every day. And I, I don't ever think about eating dinner anymore. And I assume you don't ever think about eating breakfast anymore. You know, it just becomes like not a thing, you know? It, it, it doesn't. In fact, um, having celebrated fasting, I, I'm kind of, I, I really don't use it much anymore. The reason why I think fasting is very helpful to start is you'd be surprised, even though you could use just essentially a stopwatch, you could use your own watch. It's just kind of nice to have an app to remind you when you last ate. It also explains how fasting works. It gives you, you know, nutrition recommendations and exercise and staying hydrated. So especially when you're beginning, but I do it much less frequently now because now it's just sort of part of how I, I eat. The other thing in terms of breakfast, a lot of times you get critiques of fasting and like, oh, is it dangerous? Should we be afraid? Are you, you encouraging eating disorders and things like this? And it's like, look, what about when we're eating sugary cereal? You know, I, we need a doc. We should have, you, you talk to a doctor if you're going to do that or if you're going to have McDonald's or any other fast food. That's really dangerous, too. So this notion that if you're eating an otherwise very healthful diet and you're eating during that eight hour window, that somehow that's super dangerous. I mean, yes, talk to your doctor, but make sure your doctor knows about it. And that, you know, hopefully I, I always recommend functional pra medicine practitioners uh, that have their medical doctorate. You know, I'm also a big fan of chiropractors now. I, I think, you know, they take a lot of heat. But I think they've been really ahead of the curves on a lot of this functional medicine space. And there are a lot of good functional medicine MDs, but not all doctors know about the power of intermittent fasting and its potential benefits. I mean, you probably at this point converted the original doctor that diagnosed you with prediabetes or almost type 2 diabetes to intermittent fasting and, you know, the other lifestyle changes you've made. She said I was the first patient that she had ever had that had gotten off of medications through diet and weight loss. And I think she kind of viewed it as kind of the unicorn. <clears throat> Certain people have complimented me like, oh, you're, you have such great willpower. Well, think about it. I started this when I was 45 years old. How did I all of a sudden get willpower when I was 45? And I had no willpower for 40, you know, up through 45. It was that, you know, and I don't know Dr. Jason Fung either, I swear. He's not paying me cash to say this. I read the obesity code after I got into fasting 
And it is literally like once you get the answers to the test, is the test hard? No, it's not. Once you figure out how your body works, how the hormonal theory of obesity works, it's not hard. And there's a lot of practical steps that you can take to get rid of the hunger that don't involve, and it's free. I mean, sometimes I feel like Ron Popeil, you know, the salesman for fasting, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You shouldn't have to pay anyone to do it. It gives you more time. It makes you look better. It makes you healthier. It gives you human growth hormone. And if people think that I'm just kind of like, oh, gee, this guy, I don't know if I can trust him. Okay, well, how about John Hopkins? Is that a, That's not exactly a community college. Dr. Mark Matson made his career, one of the top scientists on the East Coast, has made his career studying intermittent fasting. And now I think a lot of the other practitioners are doing it. Maybe we can get into to Jason Fung, too, in, in terms of him as a source. Um, yeah, I would love that because he's, he's, I don't know, at what point in your journey did you find Dr. Jason Fung? Was it right at the beginning or a couple months pretty, in? Pretty, pretty much... A month or two in, you know, I got interested in fasting. And if you just go to Amazon and just punch in fasting, he's going to pop up. I mean, he was one of the first guys. But what I love about Jason Fung as a source, and in fact, I think I'm going to do a podcast on him here pretty soon, is that he is a medical doctor, right? Because what's one of the biggest rejoinders you get whenever you share any piece of information? Well, you're not a doctor. You, you, you can't say anything. I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. But I can, I can point you a finger. See that doctor? You know, see this book? You can read this book. And you can read that doctor. But what makes him really effective is one, he is a doctor. He is a medical doctor. Trained, I believe he got his training at the University of Toronto. And I, I believe he did his extended nephrology residency at uh, UCLA. So he has top credentials. Nephrology, he got interested in diabetes treatment because of its impact on kidneys. And he was just basically seeing, gosh, you know, the standard canon in medical practice says that, uh, you know, the more and more type 2 diabetes you get, the, you should, at some point, if it gets bad enough, you should start giving them insulin. In which case, he was then seeing that the patients he was giving insulin to were getting fatter and fatter and fatter and more insulin resistant. You know, God, this doesn't seem to make sense. And I forget how he came across fasting, but I think he knew, well, geez, food causes insulin to spike and certain types of food cause it to really spike, like highly refined carbs and sugars. So maybe we should remove the food stimulus and then allow our body time to rest, just like we do with everything else. We have times when we're awake and we have times when we're asleep. We have times when we should eat which there's times when we should give our body an opportunity to rest. And he looked into that and then he started doing the peer review research and he started looking at, hey, there's studies out there that show that you can have a calorie neutral dieting protocol, one of which you're doing fasting and the other one you're eating throughout the day in which the fasting control group is gonna lose more weight than the, than the essentially calorie reduction group. Because the problem with calorie reduction is that you're spiking your insulin throughout the day. And the way Dr. Fung explains it is it's just like having a refrigerator and a deep freeze. Refrigerator is where you get your ready feed, your ready um, made food. The deep freeze is when your refrigerator runs out. If you're spiking your insulin throughout the day, your body's essentially saying, there's food in the fridge. Why the heck would I want to go into the deep freeze and I have to you know, thaw out the, the meat? And it's kind of a pain to go to the deep freeze. It's in people's basements and people's basements are scary. Let's just stick with our fridge. Well, you're telling your body that, that you don't need to go to your deep freeze. And what's your deep freeze in terms of your body? It's your fat. I literally used to, my dad had a belly. I used to wonder, how do you ever get hungry? Because you have all this food stored. And, you know, why do you ever need to even eat? Because you got all this backup fat. And then when I started getting fatter, I was like, well, why, 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 why am I still so hungry? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one of the things Dr. Fung talks about is, you know, leptin, which is what's your satiety hormone, that the more and more insulin resistant you get and the higher levels of insulin, it acts as an inhibitor to when you're full. That's one of the reasons why once you start getting over eight, the cruel irony is, is that you tend to eat even more because your satiety hormones are inhibited. But again, I, I don't want to like say everything with Dr. Fung, but I think for, he has been one of the most effective practitioners just in terms of his utilization of the peer-reviewed 
research, coupled with clinical experience, coupled with his ability to explain to the larger public, and his desire to be a little bit of a rebel. I mean, a lot of doctors, you go into medical school, you're not a lot of rebels there, right? I'm a lawyer. That's my day job. One of the things we share with doctors is, well, you kind of go to law school because you want a credential. Doctors, you get a built-in credential. And if you go beyond the standard of care and there's an adverse health outcome, you get sued. So by nature, they have to be very, very cautious. And I think with him being up in Canada, there's not as much of a malpractice risk. But now he has 20 years of his own practice, the peer-reviewed research, and the widespread recognition of the power of intermittent fasting. So I'm just saying my bet is on him and other practitioners out there that are really recognizing the power of intermittent fasting. And it has checked out as advertised, as he said it would. And I don't know Dr. Fung, although I'd love to interview him sometime. So Dr. Fung, if you're listening, let me interview you. Yeah, that'd be great. No, that's a very good synopsis of his work. And I think the most important part of his work is that you've done it and countless other people have done it and they've seen the results that as you know that he's promised and it's worked and a lot of people like yourself have reversed their type 2 diabetes or their pre-diabetes have been able to realize all of these health gains and it's accurate information and mm-hmm. you know yes just just like anything that you do anytime you change your lifestyle around there's going to be a little bit of pain involved in the beginning but if you can push through that then you can absolutely change your life and once you get going it's not really that hard to do anymore. In fact, it's probably harder to do it the other way. If you think back to your life prior to intermittent fasting. Yeah. Here's the other thing too. There's all these just sort of benefits that I had no idea would accrue. For example, a friend of mine recommended me to get a Bluetooth scale. And the, one of these scales where essentially it measures, it supposedly can measure like your body fat and all of this sort of stuff. One of the things, it's it's like electrical electrodes or something on the scale. You can get it on Amazon for like 25 or 30 bucks. But when I started this process, my metabolic age, at least according to the scale, was 51. Now I'm at about 47. By the way, my age when I started fasting was 45. So I was 45 and my metabolic age was 51. And now I'm down to 47. I hope at one point that I can, well, actually now I'm 47. So maybe I'm matching my actual stated age. But it has cleared up my complexion. I'm not as red as I used to be. I, I, I have a naturally rosy complexion. I was inflamed. You know, one of the, you get a lot of backhanded compliments once you start losing weight. Some people are like, I, I used to serve on the Iowa City Council and uh, the mayor who's, who now doesn't serve anymore on the council said, oh yeah, you know, you're looking really good. You were looking really puffy and inflamed. Well, <laughs> In terms of looks, you don't want to look puffy and inflamed. And I still, I'm looking a little bit, you know, got a little bleary eyed today because I'm drinking, I still drink a lot of coffee and I don't care if there's any problems. Like if someone comes out with a study that says coffee isn't good for it, I don't care. I got to have a few vices, but I, I am less puffy and inflamed and my complexion has cleared up. I'm not as inflamed as I was. So there's all these benefits in terms of gut issues, your gut microbiome. I mean, people just need to see for themselves, it is real and it is not just a fad. Because I think the other thing that happens in the health space is it's like, oh my God, is this just another fad, another, the latest thing? And how can I possibly figure all this stuff out? But it's not. I mean, at some point you have to say like, okay, at what point does someone actually get it right? And, you know, so for me, I'm never going to go back to snacking throughout the day and eating throughout the day to get that weight back. And I, and I just have built in channels of accountability such that that's not going to happen. Well, and you've already been at this since 2020. So you've already, you've lost your weight and you've proven that you're, you're well into maintenance now. So- yeah. And I'd like to get down. So my status right now is I'm about at 235. I do encourage people to get a scale. I think people go back and forth in terms of how much you should weigh yourself about whether that's going to be a good or bad thing. For me, it's just built-in accountability. So it was just my birthday. And I I do encourage, not cheat days, but once a month, take it easy. Don't fast. Take a break. Fast from fasting, right? Because your body, it is good to have. And so so occasionally I'll, you know, I'll I'll, I'll turn fasting off and I won't fast. But then it's just good to check in. And you'd be surprised that your day-to-day weight fluctuation is very significant. 
And it's just sort of a built-in measure. So my uh, right now I'm about 235. I'd like to get down to about 220, but I'm at a I'm at a really healthy spot really at this point. Where at this point people are like, oh my gosh, are you losing too much weight? I don't I don't think so. I still have some a little bit around the middle, uh, but I'm at a really healthy place, and I'm not concerned at all about rebounding at all because that's just not it's not painful. You know, a lot of times one of the critiques of at least Dr. Fung and my critique of the the calories in calories out school of, of dieting is that when you're eating throughout the day and you're doing calorie restriction, it's painful because your body is constantly getting a signal that it's being fed. And so if it's being fed, then I think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to get food in three or four hours because I am being fed. My, my refrigerator should be stocked then. If I'm not, well, then I'm hungry. And then so it's a painful process. And so what you see with that model of eating is that you do lose some weight, but it's painful and you're hungry all the time. Uh, that's the key with fasting. I don't know if you've experienced this, but you're not that, you don't get that hungry. I mean, you you can easily fast and you almost have to, sometimes you have to remind yourself to eat. Um, I don't know, have you experienced that? Yeah, in terms of no, your own hunger? I agree completely. And I grew up in the clean plate club and I can never let food go to waste. It's just my mentality. But now I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm a one meal a day person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'll be into my meal and I'll just be like, oh, I've had enough. And I just stop eating right then and there. My stomach must have shrunk at some point down the line, but I don't get hungry as much anymore. And I, I don't have food cravings. I don't feel, I don't feel deprived. None of that. And actually that's something I wanted to talk to you about. You reminded me, have yeah. your taste buds changed over time? Because I think you went to sort of a lower carb, maybe less sugar diet at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, they. I, I don't know if it's as much that I've changed. I, I definitely, I do try to avoid sugar to the extent that I can in all forms. I will occasionally indulge, but I do really, I, I read a book called The Case Against Sugar by Gary Tobbs. I mean, he's one of these keto advocates and he also does some intermittent fasting too, but I, I don't eat a lot of sugar. I'm definitely more keto. Keto is, you know, with a higher fat, lower carb, moderate amounts of protein. And, you know, most intermittent fasting practitioners embrace keto because when you do eat, you're going to want calorie dense foods that are um, satiating, that make you feel full. Carbs do not make you feel full. They're quick energy. There is a role for carbs. I occasionally will do carbs. I'm not dogmatic about it. There's a lot of people that talk about moderate levels of carbs because it is necessary for certain types of your brain functioning and these sorts of things. I mean, there are, but even that, you can survive on a zero-carb diet, right? Because your body has the natural ability to produce the ketones that you need to be able to, to work. And I, whether gluconeogenesis or something like that, I, what, the, what the fancy words are, I don't know. I'm, I'm just sort of a guy that does intermittent fasting. But yeah, I mean, so you do start craving. And one of the beautiful parts about the health of fasting, which I absolutely love, is there's something magical about breaking a fast you don't crave potato chips. It's like your body sends you a message like, look, dude, you haven't eaten for 16 hours. You better not give me garbage. You better not. You better give me healthy food. And you better give me, you know, and if you're going to give me carbs, at least do some research and get some slow carbs, like some, you know, some sweet potato or, you know, you, you do start craving healthy food. And here's the other thing. People talk about, well, is it going to cause, it tends to be, I don't know, I hate to be, with women, there's a concern about eating disorders if you're already slim and these sorts of things. But here's the thing about fasting. It's also important with, with weight reduction, calories in, calories out. There's actually a case to be made for making sure that you're not lowering your calories too much because that can trigger a lower basal metabolic rate, lower energy expenditure. So there's actually a case to be made for making sure that your calories are are at a point where you're encouraging the fat burning and you're encouraging your body to know that it is going to be fed when you do eat. And so that that sort of addresses that concern. I mean, most of the critiques of fasting are by people that have not fasted. It is not starvation. It is time-restricted eating. It is voluntary. And, you know, again, a good fasting protocol recognizes what, you know, the feasts and fasting. So hopefully if there are times throughout the year when you're not turning off your fasting lifestyle, then you're not doing it right. Thanksgiving, I did one on that. 
I just didn't have three plates of food, but I had a big, huge plate of food. When I'm at my birthday, I just celebrated my birthday. I did not fast. The critique is, oh, well, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be eating celery while everyone else is going to be eating is food and you're just going to be all gaunt. That is ridiculous. There's not one person that I know that fast that says, oh, well, you, you can't eat ever. You just eat when you're out with your friends. As long as your friends don't go out every single night, you eat with them. You don't fast that night. You don't have to fast every day. And, if, and, and when you do eat, just have a burger, maybe take off the bun or even have the bun. Just don't do it every day because then you, then you do get into this bad habit. And I've noticed sometimes when I do do some more carbs, it's easy to get back on that where your appetite starts ramping up and these sorts of things. But, but it really is, you're not isolated. And so when you are with a family and you're fasting, guess what? Just eat the damn meal. It's okay. Yeah, actually, and, I and like, it's going to be good for you. Yeah. I actually really like the episode you did on Thanksgiving because you brought your family into it. I guess you try to have them sort of hold you accountable because you didn't want to eat more than, than one plate. Are you finding your family and friends to be pretty supportive of, of what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think for a lot of people, they were like, oh my gosh, it's just the latest gimmick. I mean, because the other thing too is, you know, it's sort of funny. I remember what I thought of fasting before I fasted and after I fasted. And I thought, again, it was going to be painful. There's no way I would be able to do it. I didn't know about stuff like autophagy. You know, I call it autophagy. Although I did hear Dr. Andrew Huberman I, I, had, I had admonished myself in autophagy, for those of our guests who don't know, is the cellular cleansing process where when you fast, your body like renews its cells. It's like, it's real. Trust me. I called it autophagy. And then I was like, oh no, it's autophagy. But Andrew Huberman called it autophagy. So I was like, and he's a neuroscientist at Stanford. So I don't know, maybe I was right. I don't know. But there's all these benefits. And yeah, so my friends are like, oh my gosh, you've lost so much weight. They still think it's just willpower, that I'm just sort of calorie restricted. And unfortunately, I hope there are no nutrition. Are you a nutritionist? I, so many of the standard dietitians, it, it's calories in, calories out. And I, I just, there's just a lot of, I mean, we all have to decide for ourselves. But I just, I just don't embrace the standard model of dieting. I just don't. And I've tried keto plus intermittent fasting. The results have been overwhelming for me and all my blood markers, they're all good now. So yeah, no, the I, results speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for people to say that it, it, it's, you know, and, and they don't understand about insulin and the way that it, you know, uh, allows you when you don't have it, that you can actually tap into your fat stores. So there is something about, it's not just calorie reduction because the critique of fasting is, is it's a back end, it's a backdoor approach to basically just reducing your calories. And there's a part of that. One bad habit that I got into, I'd mentioned the mix of Netflix and wine. So when I was up at 300 pounds, I, I would drink about four to five glasses a night. That's bad for those people who want to know about that. That's not good. <laughs> and of course, what does alcohol do? It stimulates your appetite. And then in my pre-fasting days, I was like, what am I going to do? After, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to have a big bowl of cereal and blueberries and milk just before I go to bed, which is just horrible. Because what am I doing when my body should be fat fasting when I'm sleeping and burning fat? I was spiking my insulin, thereby blocking my ability to burn calories while I sleep and triggering the next carb cycle for when then I'd go in and then wake up and wake up hungry. And so that's, that's one of the really bad habits that I'd gotten into. But, you know, again, with fasting, you do get some calorie reduction because, you know, if you're not eating 16 hours a day, you're just not going to have as many calories. And again, it sounds hard, but when you think about 16 hours, well, eight or nine hours of it, you're sleeping. And four of those hours are going to be after your last big meal. So it's really not that hard. People just need to do it and get through the first couple of days, then they're fine. It's easy. I definitely hear your point on eating something before bedtime and you're spiking your insulin overnight. That's really, that's really a tough thing to go through. And actually I'm a type one diabetic. So 
I'm, you know, highly aware of whenever I put food into my body, what happens with my blood glucose levels and just the, the spikes that occur. And one of the really, really nice things about fasting is you deal with whatever, you know, you eat your meal, you deal, your body deals with whatever's in there. You give yourself, if you're type one insulin for that meal. And then after the meal's out, all you have is just a baseline level of insulin, which is the same as what you have, but your body actually produces it. Mine does not. And you're just smooth sailing. And the idea that you were interrupting that right before you went to bed. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a bad habit that I'm glad that you broke. Cause that's, that will definitely probably more than any other time of the day that you ate that probably packed on the pounds the most. Yeah. And I think you had mentioned you're a type one diabetic, meaning your body does not produce insulin naturally and you need to insert uh, insulin into your body. One thing I do want to emphasize is for all our, all our listeners, especially with a type one, as well as type two, or if you have any specialty, do talk to your doctor, obviously with blood sugar, with a type one diabetic, incredibly complicated, way beyond the scope of my credentials to be able to talk about what you should or shouldn't do. But I hope you're able to talk to a doctor that knows something about intermittent fasting. Because it is, and that's that, that is the flip side of type two. Because type two, correct me if I'm wrong, is where your body becomes insulin resistant, right? And that it's not uh, you need to produce more and more levels of insulin to be able to get the same same amount of like to be able to absorb the nutrients into your body, which is one of the functions of what insulin does. And if you're type one, you're not producing the insulin, and so your body, like if you didn't have insulin, you would starve death. And that's what Dr. Fung noticed. Was that one notice? I mean, if you don't have insulin, you starve to death. Um, if you're obese and you're, you know, you're inserting insulin, you put on a whole bunch of weight. So he's like, well, wait a minute. Why not control the insulin naturally for those of us who aren't type one diabetics? And you do. And I, I don't know if he's done as much with the type one versus type two. I think it's primarily the type two space. Obviously, you can't reverse type one naturally, but for type two to be able to reduce your body's need to have those excessive amounts of insulin in your body and to become more insulin sensitive and more efficient. I think the track record is much stronger with her, but do talk to your doctor. I am not a doc. I'm a jurist doctorate, not a medical doctor, <laughs> but do get a functional medicine doctor that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. And definitely people should speak to their doctors. You know, it's just funny. A lot of doctors that are not functional doctors really don't know very much about intermittent fasting. So you may have to educate your doctor along the way, especially as a type one, I go to an endocrinologist every quarter. She didn't really know much about inter intermittent fasting, but she said, you know, your blood sugars look good. Go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. But for those people that are listening and their endo is saying, I, you know, I don't know anything about this. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Either find another endo, maybe find a functional medicine doctor, yes. maybe you need to make a switch, you know, but you, you, you definitely can do it. It's just a matter of you have to make some tweaks. One of the things I really wanted to speak to you about is, so you were pre-diabetic, your fasting blood glucose was 135 when you went in, in May, 2020. Did you feel, I want to compare and contrast it to now. Did you feel like your energy levels were a lot lower at that time versus now? Yes. One issue that I had when I was obese is that I used to, in fact, it actually caused some conflict. I mean, this is probably beyond the scope of this, but with my previous wife, we had this conflict because on Saturday would come along and I like to take naps, right? And I, you know, I, I, part because I was exhausted from the week and I was kind of stressed out my day job as a lawyer, which is not exactly a relaxing profession, but I took naps and I, I would take these, you know, these naps where you wake up and you feel really kind of tired. And it's just, that was kind of my weekends is, is I would in the afternoons take a nap and it actually caused some conflict. And now I, I literally don't remember the last time that I took a nap in the afternoon. I don't, I don't remember it. I, and here's the other, I, I didn't want on the side effects of fasting, Here's one of the things with fasting that makes it really, really powerful, which is one of the reasons why you want to fast from your fast. It is a stressor on your body. It's what's called a hermetic effect. And your body likes food. It wants to be fed. And it's stressful. And so when you're out, you know, when we're out in nature, you know, you when you didn't eat, does it make sense that you would have less energy or more energy? Would you rather face a fed wolf or a hungry wolf? or a fed lion or a hungry lion. I mean, when your body is hungry, 
there's all of this adrenaline that surges through it, which, so what you will feel with, and I had no idea, why do all the religions fast? The mental clarity that you have, and this isn't just a placebo effect, this is real. Your body produces all of this adrenaline and your energy is just off the chart. So one issue that I dealt with early on was, is I loved it so much. I know at some point I was getting too jazzed up with all my stressors. I was taking cold showers and I was fasting and I was just sort of like, at some point I was sleeping like three to four hours a night and I was like, oh, that's, this isn't good. Um, and occasionally here's the nice thing with carbs uh, because is that carbs are good for producing, what is it, serotonin, you know, so you can sleep. So some people do sort of more high fat during the day, during their, their active stage, and then maybe do some carbs in the evening so they can sleep better. But my energy levels are off the charts and I get up 4.30 to 5 every morning now. In fact, I slept in today at like 6.30 and I was, it was very unusual because I used to sleep until 6.30 or 7. Now I get up at 4.30 or 5. So I felt kind of lazy. But yeah, my energy, I don't remember the last time I took a nap. I never nap anymore. Right, so, yeah. So do you still take your blood sugars at all? Or are you? I should have. You know, last fall I had one schedule and I, I, just, I just didn't get to it. So I, I would, I, I think I am going to do a subsequent lab panel just because I frankly <clears throat> just want to confirm to especially members of my podcast, listeners of my podcast, you know, hey, here I am, you know, 18 months out. I guess now I'd be coming up on two years of fasting with May of 2022. I'm very confident though that they're going to be at a good level. So that that is one limitation of my my data so far is I really only have one snapshot, but it was a very dramatic snapshot from where I'm at. And but I'm very confident that they're going to be good. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing you could do too is uh, just get a home meter, blood sugar meter and just yeah. check it in the mornings every once in a while and just see where you're at. But I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's your blood sugars are back in the normal range with your weight being under control and so much fasting and making some changes to your diet. Like I'm sure it's great. Yeah. And I'll definitely be, you know, listening to hear any updates in your podcast about future doctor appointments. But before we run up on time, is there anything that you want to tell people that maybe are new to fasting or maybe they're also pre-diabetic and they're thinking about starting this lifestyle. The one of the reasons I really love your podcast, like I said earlier, is that I think it's so good for new fasters. And I think you just really have a way of speaking to people that are just trying to get into this space and maybe have some concerns or some worries about what's going to happen to them. Do you have any, any, you know, parting words of wisdom for them? Get started. Don't fear it. I, I see all these people having had a dad bod. I'm speaking mainly to the men. I obviously with women, it's a little trickier giving people feedback, but I see all these dad bods out there. And, you know, men, we learned how to joke about it. Like Jeff Foxworthy, like, oh, well, men don't go bowling and say, Chuck, does my butt look fat? We don't do that. But I guarantee you, no man loves that experience of pulling on your belt. And it's, it's a little snug. And it, it's not. So we have, we, we become self-deprecating about, oh, well, I got this belly and this and that. I think, especially for our listeners, and, and I would like to, you know, get more women on my podcast too, in terms of, it's a little bit different with fasting and women in terms of the hormonal levels. And so like the longer fasts tend to be a little bit more difficult, but is that you can lose, it's not hard. It's simple. I do recommend that people just get a good book like Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a good functional medical practitioner. There's a lot of good stuff on Amazon. Just Google it. Just go to Amazon, get a good, good keto, right? You're not only eating bacon and eggs all the time. There's a lot of good vegetables that are also keto friendly. And you're going to, you, you can lose your dad bod. I'm a skinny jean guy now. I, I was going to do a podcast called From Six Pack to Six Pack. You know, I was kind of a six-pack Joe. I do like to drink Bush Light still, but I actually have a six-pack now. And I I never thought I'd be able to do that. I'm in better shape now at 47 than I was at 40. And fasting really was how I did it. And so I'd love for people that want to lose weight. And if they're, and, and almost, and the other thing too, is if you have a dad bod, you probably do have type two diabetes or you're you're probably insulin resistant because- the other thing about obesity is that it is extremely dangerous. If your body mass index is over 30, you are, you are at a higher risk of certain death uh, or death than even, even I think smokers. I think if you're a skinny smoker versus an obese non-smoker, 
you may have higher all-cause mortality. Now, footnote this and double check this. But I, I think that that's the case in terms of your cancers, your blood pressure, your cardiac events, your type 2 diabetes, especially for your type 1 diabetics, do talk to your doctor. But you can do it, and it's so easy. Get started, get an app, skip breakfast, lose your dad vibe. Yeah, I love that. And I love that message. And, you know, doing intermittent fasting not only cured your pre-type 2 diabetes, but it also cured a variety of other health ailments. And yes. I've heard that from other guests too. Like it's one approach and it deals with almost everything, if not everything. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, again, I think a lot of times it's good for people to be skeptical and by the way, without getting into this whole other rabbit hole of quote unquote, follow the science, the only thing I want to say about that is, is the scientific method involves critique. So I, I certainly encourage people to be skeptical, to look for alternative critiques of fasting, to look and see if there's some peer review stuff. I mean, the conventional docs and the conventional dietitians still view it fasting as a fad, much in the same way they view keto as sort of a, a minority position. The only thing I would say is, is that those health rebels that have adopted keto plus intermittent fasting, what's one thing they all share in common? They're fit. A lot of them are muscular and a lot of them look great. I don't think I've seen someone that says, yeah, I tried intermittent fasting and keto and I gained a whole bunch of weight. They all look great. So, and, and their numbers prove it. So get started, get healthy, lose the dad bod, get a six pack, get energy, it's all, it's all been real, at least as to me and as to members of our audience, they can find out for themselves, but they will see results in about six to eight weeks. People will say, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And I'm not being paid anything to say this. This is just my experience. Yeah, I love it. And uh, the beauty of intermittent fasting is it's free. You know, just like I yes. said earlier, it's free. None of us are getting paid. I'm just trying to get the message out, I'm not getting paid in any sort of way. And, uh, and you are too, so... Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I love your story. And thank you for coming on and telling it. Happy to do it. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.